The North Fork A Weekend podcast is brought to you by Sherry Winter Parker of Corcoran. Sherry is the North Fork's top real estate agent and top producer from 2005 through 2021. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the North Forker Podcast. We have our new agriculture issue hitting newsstands this week, so I'm joined by the full team. We have Lee Meyer. How's it going, Lee? Good. How are you? Doing great. Tara Smith. Hey, how are you? Excellent. And Michalina Defont. Hi, guys. What's going on? <laughs> Can you tell that I just am getting more and more, like, making fun of the pleasantries at the beginning of this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. It's just ridiculous. We should just start by giving you what you want by talking about what's in the June issue of North Forker. Like I said, it is our agriculture issue. And Tara, you wrote about young farmers on the North Fork. Yeah, this story looks at some of the new ideas that um, some of the younger farmers are looking at. These are things that play maybe more of a role than they did for their parents or grandparents, like uh, social media or, you know, creating more of an experience for people. And a perfect example of someone who's doing that is Rose Andrews uh, at Andrews Family Farm. So she's done things like expand cut flowers in response to customer demand um, and even diversified their crop offerings a little bit. Um, so she used the example of growing a candy-striped beet rather than the regular old red beet and how that, you know, more unique product could could honestly be the difference between, you know, someone going to a grocery store uh, or seeking out their farm. So I thought, you know, that was kind of interesting and, and something I would have never thought about. Um, and so general generational farms are, are important, and it's nice to see the next kind of crop of farmers come up. But it got me thinking, you know, if someone has no connection to farming or it's not in their blood, how do they get into it? So I connected with a couple of those people, and the one unifying thread that I found was the Peconic Land Trust. They have a program called Farms to the Future, Farms for the Future, uh, which basically connects young farmers uh, or new farmers. Honestly, there are people in their 20s, 30s. Uh, 40s, and then people who have retired and are in their 60s and want to try farming. Um, But it connects those people with land, which is uh, one of the the biggest barriers to, you know, starting a farm, especially on the North Fork, where the cost of land, as we know, is is so high. So Dan Heston from the Peconic Land Trust uh, put it best. He said, uh, if you just protect the land, it's it's just land. It's not a farm until you have a farmer on it. Uh, So that was uh, a nice, you know, theme of the story that everyone's really committed to kind of keeping farming alive and having the local industry and food supply. Um, And another thing that's worth mentioning is that Rose has started this effort to reinvigorate the Young Farm Bureau uh, Committee, which is an offshoot of the Long Island Farm Bureau, really aimed at people between 18 and 35, um, which is a nice meeting of the minds and a way to kind of keep farming vibrant on the North Fork. You know, and before we started uh, recording this podcast, you guys were all marveling at what a great uh, cover model Rose made. So uh, yeah, and her cute like, dog uh, Sage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was great to see uh, you know the next generation uh, getting involved in some of these local farms. Uh, that's also the case with Seps, which you wrote about, Lee. You know, we kind of envisioned this as like a little bit of old with the new, doing some like new farmers plus, you know, like an old family farm that's been here for a while. But really, I think the theme with SEPS is the need to constantly adapt. Yeah, SEPS Farm has been around for decades in East Marion. And I spoke with the whole family. And Eric Sepanoski, who was born in 1983, is such a good storyteller. Um, and one of the things that he did, we, we took a tour of the farm. And uh, he felt so bad because when I was there that morning, 
they were trying to fix um, the solar paneling. There was a problem with the solar paneling. So they had this ancient generator blasting and you could just hear it while I was doing this tour and talking to him and he felt so bad. And I said, no, this is kind of part of the story, how you adapt, how you evolve. And and it was kind of a mix, you know, kind of a mixture of the old and the new. And um, so, yeah, the story is kind of the story of the farm and and how the Sepanoskis have been on the North Fork for many decades and how they've adapted. Right now, their focus is on their CSA, their community source, uh, community supported agriculture. And that was spearheaded by his wife, Brenna, who um, who is representing a lot of the new there. You know, they have two children now, I believe. And... Uh, yeah, you know, they were really um, they were really welcoming and uh, forthcoming about how hard it is to have a farm for, you know, this many years and uh, continue to grow and adapt with the times. Yeah. You know, I think when we think of the different farms on, on the North Fork, we tend to, you know, like the old school is the potato and cauliflower mm-hmm. farms. And obviously, like, sepsis had to evolve beyond that. And they yeah. offer a lot more than than what they once did and, you know, the vineyards we think about. But there's also a goat farm well, on the North Fork. I mean, this is my career highlight was getting to play <laughs> with the goats at Catapano Dairy. So Catapano Dairy uh, Farm has new owners for a little over a year now. Erin um, Argo Burke and her husband Connor Burke uh, took over the farm in 2021. Uh, they kind of moved to the North Fork at the beginning of the pandemic, found out that Catapano um, – was looking to sell and they've taken over and it's interesting because they're this young couple from the city uh, and Erin grew up on farms uh, her whole life not in New York and Connor uh, worked in aquaculture his entire career and the two of them are now raising these goats and and improving the cheeses that you can buy there and um, they've also started uh, a great program for the male goats. So on a, on a dairy farm, the, the male goats are really used for breeding. But one of the things they're doing is having the male goats, um, they're renting out the male goats to uh, landscape your garden um, and your property. So it's just really cool to see how they have also taken this, this farm that's not that old, but they are adding new things and making it um, kind of a fresh experience for people. Yeah, and the cheese is so delicious, isn't it? I mean, let's be real. It's all about the cheese in the end. As cute as those goats are, the cheese is amazing. That feta. Just here for the cheese. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think of June on the North Fork and you think of farms, you think of strawberry picking, Um, but there's also the Strawberry Festival. Now, it's not necessarily like, you know, the highlight of local agriculture. I mean, I would put a local strawberry over a Driscoll's any old day of the week. Uh, and you'll get a lot of Driscoll's at the Strawberry Festival. But this is a tradition kind of unlike any other on the North Fork. So I wanted to explore for this month looking back at the start of the Strawberry Festival and how it all began. And, um, you know, I hope people read the story and kind of learn a little bit more about this event that draws so many people out here. The idea for the Lions Club Strawberry Festival was actually when three Lions in April 1954 took a trip down to Plant City, Florida, where the Florida Strawberry Festival is hosted each year. And that's a tradition that keeps on going to today. Um, That, I believe, started in like the 1920s. But the next year, they brought a similar event to Mattituck. How many people you think showed up at the first Strawberry Festival? I could test to see if you guys actually read my article. 
250. Oh, my God. This, none of you guys actually read I my I read it, but I, I forgot. 100 people. <laughs> there was 1,000 a guests. 1,000, I thought. Oh. Yeah, Which is actually more than you wow. would have maybe thought. Yeah. They netted $787 in proceeds on that first year, <laughs> and it's grown uh, within the first decade or so. There was tens, 20,000 people um, in the first, you know, 20 years uh, of the Strawberry Festival each year, uh, and it continues on. Uh, it's returning for the 67th time this year. It runs from Wednesday, June 15th through Sunday, June 19th, and it'll have all the usual uh, strawberry shortcake and daiquiris and carnival <laughs> rides. But the festival also this year, they're introducing a talent show. And I found out actually after this article went to the printer uh, they just announced just this week that they're bringing back the strawberry shortcake eating contest. Yes. And uh, oh, the shortcake dates back to the first year. One of the articles I found in research in the beginning of this was an article about the very first strawberry festival. And the writer noted that the strawberry shortcake there was like the kind that mother used to make. And I love that line. <laughs> oh. So I included that. Uh, in the article. And uh, the Strawberry Festival, it's ultimately about charity. Over the years, it's raised more than a million dollars for local charities. And we just had an article in the Suffolk Times and the Riverhead News Review just last week about a nursing program and $50,000 from last year's festival. And we interviewed uh, a young nurse who is um, furthering her nursing education thanks to the money that people spent at last year's Strawberry Festival. So uh, a great local tradition or returns on June 15th. There's strawberries everywhere you look in this magazine, including on the map. There sure are. So our map is strawberry everything this month. As Grant said, you think of June and you think of local strawberries on the North Fork, whether you're picking them or just out looking for them on menus. Uh, we've kind of taken the, the work out of the whole picking and hulling and washing them type of thing um, and curated a list of places to go and get some strawberry foods on the North Fork. So such as strawberry ice cream from Lewins in Calverton, a crescent salad which has sliced marinated boneless duck breast from Farm Country Kitchen, a classic mojito for those who want a refreshing cocktail um, from Lucha Cubano. There's a strawberry shortcake on here from Insatiable Eats, strawberry lemonade, and strawberry so much more. So definitely check out the map this month for strawberry everything and enjoy eating your way through the North Fork. That's great. One thing I always think about is what's in season when. So I know that strawberries are in season in June. You know, I know July is corn, tomatoes are August. But sometimes I get kind of tripped up thinking like, wait, when is that going to be fresh on the farm? And <laughs> when that's going to be there? So one thing we included was actually a checklist of when things can be bought at farm stands. It encompasses the whole year, lists all the major uh, fruits and vegetables right down to the rhubarb. But we also um, talked about some of the things that are unusual that are grown here. And Lee, you wrote that piece. Yeah, I was really surprised with the diversity of crops that um, you find on the North Fork, especially stuff that you wouldn't normally think about. Like, I'm not going to give it all away, but 1760 Homestead Farm um, – they make these crazy peppers. They make Trinidad peppers, peri peris, Cal- Carolina reapers, and uh, everything sounds really uh, horrifying. Cal- Inc- sounds incredibly like spicy. The, right? the grim reapers. What I, I think mean, of when I hear about that pepper. Well, you can try some of these at Meats Meat Barbecue in Mattituck because oh, no. he's actually making those peppers for the barbecue uh, place. I kid you not. I was going to experience meat's meat for the first time today. Well, you'll be having some California yes. reapers, with, Carolina reapers with that. I will friend. say, hold the Carolina reaper, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, Treber Farms, for example, they grew barley last year, and 
it went so well that he ended up that Peter Treber actually ended up making a beer with Springs Brewery um, that you can that you can buy. Uh, Zilnicki Farms grows 15 different types of mints. Um, and I didn't you, know there were 15 types of mints. Let's be honest. Yeah. So I that chocolate was. milk in your uh, chocolate cho- mint. not chocolate milk. <laughs> chocolate <laughs> mint. Chocolate mint. Yeah. I knew your about story, that uh, Got me so excited because I am a yeah. mint chocolate chip lover. Uh, so go. I need to go down there and get some chocolate mint. <laughs> yeah. So so the rest of these you'll have to you'll have to read the story. But there are some crazy crops. Maybe we should call the story crazy crops. Crazy <laughs> crops. I actually, I found an unusual crop when I was reporting the uh, flower farm story at Pierpont Blossom Farms. Yeah. Um, he actually grows eucalyptus, which I had no idea grew in yeah. our climate. Um, so that was uh, kind of unexpected. But yeah, it grows on a bush and he uh, uses them in his displays and you can pick up some when they're uh, finally in bloom, which is later in the summer. I love that. And touring a flower farm is one of the things on your list of farm experiences. That's the list for this month. Uh, Tara, why don't you tell our listeners about a few of the things that you uh, featured? Yeah, it's great to visit a farm, but there really there's no shortage of ways to get out on the farm, learn something, and uh, get your hands dirty if that's what you're you're into. So yeah, you can tour the North Fork Flower Farm and make your own bouquet. Uh, that's in Southhold. They just relocated there this year. Uh, you can also do an oyster tour at Little Ram Oysters, where you learn all about the life cycle, how they're raised in the Peconic Bay, and then of course uh, as a treat, learning how to shuck them and eat them. Uh, at Catapano Dairy Farm, you can cuddle a goat and, and do a tour <laughs> and kind of see uh, how the delicious cheese is made. Uh, you can learn about bison at the North Quarter Farm in Riverhead. Even enjoy story time with farm animals at Browder's Birds. Um, and also immerse yourself in history. That's at Sylvester Manor on Shelter Island, um, which has a fascinating history. And I think, Michalina, you said your family did that one last year. And, yeah, we and did really a farm tour. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think let's kill this podcast right there because I need to go and cuddle a goat. Yeah. Or eat some pepper scrap. I I, I need to spend the rest of my day cuddling a baby goat and eating barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go on a strawberry tour, I think. That's a good plan. All right. We'll get on out there this weekend. The magazine will be uh, shipped across the North Fork. Go wherever you pick up the magazine. And also uh, check out these articles as they begin to pop up online at northforker.com this month. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with an events podcast. Thanks for doing this, guys. Thanks. Thank you.